Today's sermon is by John Windle, reading Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. Isaiah chapter 5. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done that I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? John continues from verse 5. So now let me tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall and it will become trampled ground. And I will lay it waste and it will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up. I will also charge the clouds to rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah his delightful plants. Thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. So that's, that's where we start. So let's go across now to Matthew 21, verses 33 to 46. Now this is um, coming in the context of what um, we've been sharing over a couple of weeks. The um, triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. The temple cleansing, the fig tree that wasn't bearing any fruit, and of course the two sons that Daryl talked about last week, where um, one said they would do it and didn't, and one said they wouldn't, but repented later on and went and did it. So we're in the context of being fruitful and faithful to God. So 33. Ah, this is really awkward after a while. Devices are much easier sometimes. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented it to the vine growers and went on a journey. And when the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. And the vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. Again, he sent another group of slaves together, larger, oh sorry, another group of slaves, larger than the first, and they did the same thing to them. But afterwards he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to, these vine, to those vine growers? They said to him, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end and he will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds and the proper, at the proper seasons. Jesus said to them, Did you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and it, it is marvellous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and be given to a nation producing the fruit of it. And he who 
falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but whoever it falls on will be scattered like dust. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they understood that he was speaking about them. And when they sought to seize him, they feared the multitude, because he held, they held him to be a prophet. So this uh, parable has two main sections. Has uh, two main sections. There we go. That's better. I can see them a bit better. Um, Jesus is telling this parable, and, and it winds up this section on fruit and faithfulness. So the vineyard is very clearly referencing this Isaiah passage where God says, I have prepared Judah. Judah is his kingdom. And they haven't delivered. When Jesus comes, he doesn't find righteousness in, in Jerusalem. And he doesn't find um, justice. He finds the Pharisees. And so he's saying, the, the main message of this section is that God is removing the the place of being the people of God from the Jews and giving it to another nation which is why we're all here we're, we're that other nation we are the Gentiles so but we in that sense have a responsibility to produce fruit God is going to come and look at us and look for the fruit of righteousness and justice and he's going to do that on multiple levels. As individuals, everything we are has been prepared by God. All the things you can do are abilities God has given you. There is nothing that we can say is ours. I mean, I have a good job. I do well. I'm not the smartest person there, but I do all right. That's not me. There is no pride there. The only reason I have anything is because God has given it to me. I have a family because God has given it to me. It wasn't because I was wonderful. There's all sorts of mistakes on the way. It's because God was generous to me. Oh, excuse me. And when we remember that, I have to remember that I can't claim that I own anything. If God calls me to be more generous, I have to remember that God's given me what he gave me in the first place. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I'm getting distinctly nervous that this thing's about to take off. But it's also more on a... It's more of a group thing too. As a church, when God looks at us, does he see us producing fruit? Does he see us as a community that's just, do we welcome those who society shuns? Or are they just uncomfortable and we tend to avoid them? Do we seek justice with our purchases? You know, that stuff that all the young people go on about, buying fair trade and all that stuff that just makes life difficult? Are we conscious of the way we spend our money? That we might seek justice in the world to the extent that we can? It's true that most of us aren't in a position to make huge changes in the world. We're not leaders of nations. We're not, I guess, leaders of, leaders of big worldwide groups that can make some changes. But are we doing our bit? Are we concerned with doing our bit? Because that's what God is going to look for. 
And as a church, do we seek to produce fruit? As I'm preparing this sermon, I sat down to think, what, what are we doing to reach the community we're in as a group? There are individuals out there who are doing a whole bunch. And I'm opening the floor to anyone who can... At the moment, the only thing I'm aware of that we do to plant seeds in this area is scripture. There's a couple of ladies who've faithfully been teaching scripture for well, as long as I've been at church. They see it as their calling, and they do it faithfully, year after year. Um, over the years, we've done various outreaches, but at the moment, I guess we've been caught between buildings, we're caught, you know, COVID. Where do we go? What do we do? Do we choose to get involved with um, trying to connect the, the community through the Ush, which is one of the visions the Greater West for Christ who own the Ush have, and I've got, had the pleasure while Nathan's been away of communicating with Kathy and Steve who run the Ush. It's actually the great concern of them, they don't really want to run just a childcare thing. They don't want to just run this as a business. That's not their main interest. They want to provide opportunities like that storytelling for those of you who can tell stories. Not me, not at all. Just ask my kids. We watch a lot of videos. <laughs> I can't even read properly. <laughs> Books are dull. But um, I know there are certain people who have that gift and can tell an a story that involves people and gets them and like to me it looks terribly painful to act out all these things. I mean David Wilkinson when they do those skits, terribly painful as far as I'm concerned. But I understand that they can have an effect on people and they can reach people who aren't just oh, just give me the facts and nothing else. They want to involve them. So we have opportunities and the Ush is looking for us to suggest ways we might be able to use the connections here to find ways into the community. Um, that email that went around uh, after the first meeting I attended with the different ideas that they had about spending it, and one of the ones I suggested was we might think about running craft mornings, once interesting crafts. There's a lot of people here who have different hobbies, sewing, jewellery making, card making, just to connect. Not that we're going to stand up on the tables and preach, that's not what we want to do. What Kathy and Steve want to see is connections between Christians, you guys, and the parents who bring their kids here. They don't necessarily want to see them at all opportunities. We've got to have a sermon every, every time we meet. But they believe that we, if we form bridges with the community around us, that's where Jesus will walk across. You'll get the opportunity to find those people of peace that Nathan keeps going on about. Have you noticed how he goes on about this people of peace strategy? I listen to it and I go, that's all good, but I actually don't meet anybody. I go to work. I come home, I look after my kids. I don't meet anyone in my community. Even around where I live, I don't even talk to my neighbour. Either of them. Not because they're nasty, it's just I just don't have anything to say. My wife talks to them a lot. A lot more than I do. So we're trying to provide opportunities, and I'm, I'm keen to because I'm keen to get involved in something like this because that's the opportunity that I need. I, I won't, if I go to a party, I won't talk to anyone. It's just who I am. But if I'm running a craft thing, I will talk with people because I have something to say. So for me, providing that sort of opportunity, how do you connect with people? How do you connect with people in your community, whether it's here or around where you live? And are those opportunities for the gospel for you to produce fruit? Um, we heard stories of how Colin connected with, I forget his name now, a young guy. Just by being himself. It wasn't necessarily a, 
I'm going to go out and evangelise this guy. It was just, I'm concerned with you and I want to help you. And Jesus walked across that barrier just by them being who they are. When Colin and Glenn were just who they were with this guy, Jesus walked across the bridge. And that's the sort of opportunities we want to provide. But we can only do that if we meet people. If you're like me and you spend your life going to work, coming home, going to work, coming home, there's no real opportunities there. I have to find a way to either reduce the amount of hours I spend commuting and working and find some way to, in the community that I live to be involved. Because we need to produce fruit. God will look at us and he will evaluate our lives. And while we will escape judgment, which is the last part of the passage, he still wants us to produce fruit. Not just in the gospel, but in our own lives. Are we growing? Are we growing in our desire to see justice? Are we, is, is the pain of the injustice in the world increasing as we get older, as we get to know God more? And we see how he, see, he views the atrocities that go on around us, the injustices. Is that growing in us? Are we growing to be more Christ-like each day? Or have we, I guess for those of us who are older, have we sort of said, oh, well, I've reached the pinnacle. I'm, I'm about as good as I'm going to get. I can just rest now. Because it's tempting, because sometimes it's hard to keep going, hard to keep pushing. Or maybe that's just me. But, um, yeah, do we keep working? Do we keep asking our friends to encourage us to be more Christ-like? I, re- I meet with Richard, and it's sometimes a bit humbling to be pushed by a man who's so overwhelmed with the wickedness that he sees around him. And I just can't, I often find I can't feel anywhere near that intensity. Well, I'm getting better as I get older a little bit, maybe, exposed to Richard. He's rubbing off on me. Um, I'll try not to cry when I read the Bible in front of you, but um, I'm growing by being around him. Are we exposing ourselves to people who help us to grow? Or are we just, are we do get too occupied with our lives? Families are busy. I, yeah, it's easy to get distracted by our families sometimes. They're important, but God has to be more important. And by God, I don't mean church, and I don't mean busyness, um, which is, when I was younger, was the way I went. If you were really a Christian, you were really busy. And the more busy you were, the more Christian you were. Because that worked for me, because that fed my pride. When it was really about being like God. I wish I'd invested more when I was younger at being more of a, a godly person rather than just being a busy person, rather than feeding my own pride on that area. So you aren't an accident. You have gifts and abilities that God wants to use to produce fruit in yourself and in others. Don't be so busy that you don't have time to allow that to happen. And don't begrudge who you are. Because who you are is there for a reason. God, the vineyard, as God says, he prepared it. He prepared you. Maybe you don't like all of who you are. Maybe it's inconvenient sometimes. But he prepared you for a reason. And maybe you'll understand, maybe you won't. But he will use you the way you are if we're available. And the other thing that scared me about that passage is God sends his messengers to the vineyard growers and says, oh, the prophets, and I want, you to, I want you to produce fruit. I want you to give me my share. And they beat those servants and ignored them. 
And I thought, who do I ignore? Who is God sending to remind me of the way I should live and the way I should be? And who am I ignoring? As far as I know, I'm not beating and killing anybody, at least not physically, not really equipped for that. Um, but who am I ignoring? When God sends a message to me, am I ignoring it? And what am I doing with it? Am I, I'm just too busy to do anything about that. I don't feel convicted or, no, I don't like the way you presented that. I'm not going to, I don't know. Who is it? Is it, is it the friends who visit me? Is it the sermons I listen to? Where am I ignoring God? Because I don't think we're much better than the Jews. The problems the Jews have, we all face. They ignored God, and I'm pretty sure we probably do in, in much the same ways. The difference is we have the Holy Spirit and we know that God won't let us go. Of course, the difference is we can't, he won't stop us walking away if we choose that either, which is scary. Most of the time he'll, he'll hold on to us which is good to know, and we can come back to it, like the prodigal son. And it's difficult to be, um, like righteousness is defined as being, where is it, morally correct. And in the age we live in, it's difficult to be morally correct in a, in a, in a culture which is morally ambiguous. Everything's okay, pretty much, and you can't take a stand on it. And sometimes the stands we take actually aren't well thought out. We can't persecute people because they're different. Jesus was able to deal with people who were morally ambiguous, the way he related to the prostitutes and the tax collectors, without judging them. That's their target. We don't need to concede that what they're doing is correct. Jesus never said that what they were doing was correct. He just told them there was a better way, that they could be better and he could see what was good in them. And that's what we need to do. We need to be accepting of the people, not necessarily of their actions. Difficult line to draw, I guess. But it's easy to, to shun those people who are different from ourselves because they make us feel uncomfortable. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to relate to them. So let's try and, and, and be more like Jesus in that area. Um, Church is often viewed as a bunch of people who are very judgmental. Hopefully that's not true, but there's always some truth in, in those sort of rooms. Let's just try and make sure that we're not that way. Certainly I know judgmentalness is one of my key areas. It's easy, much easier to judge people because they're not doing the right thing than to try and understand why they've been let, moved away. The last part of the passage talks about the stone that the builders reject and that if you fall on it, you'll be broken. But if it falls on you, you'll be ground into dust. Jesus is the stone. We come to Jesus and we're broken because we know that we're not good enough. Nothing we can do will get us into heaven. We are not worthy of being in heaven. That's what it means to be broken. We, are only, we can only access heaven because of what Jesus did. Not because of who we are, not because of how nice we are or the houses we have or how generous we are, but because we believe in Jesus and his saving blood. And we're either broken before Christ now or on judgment day we will be broken by him. And that's what that, the last passage that means. And the Jews knew that he was talking of them, the Pharisees. 
My concern is that those of us who've been in church for a long time or if you've been brought up in a church family like me, when we read in the Bible about Pharisees, Jesus is probably talking about us. We're the establishment. We are the established church. We're the respectable people. We've got it together or whatever. It's easy for us to mistake that Jesus is talking about other people. But the, the Pharisees were a lot like us. They were, they were respectable. They had position in society. Would we guard it if we were threatened? I don't know. Would I? I don't know that either. I'm scared that I would. And I'd probably justify it somehow. I wonder what I'd do if Jesus came in here and he got up at the microphone and he said, everything you're doing is wrong. What would I do? Would I just go, okay, well, I guess I better go your way or would I resist? Would I push back? I guess stoning isn't such a big thing these days here. But um, we live in a different age, but very likely we'd put him in a box and just try and ignore him. And um, Anyway, that's, that's all that passage is, has got. Um, I hope that you can reflect on what... Um, on church and our ministry and your life and your ministry because I think that's what, what God wants us to do when we read the Bible. How does it reflect on us? Um, and if you're anything like me, it's easy to find all the bad points. It's much harder to see where you've been successful. That's what others are good for. It's much easier for other people to feed into your life and say, actually, you know, you're really good at welcoming people. You're really good at making people feel comfortable or you're really available or whatever. We need to learn to be able to listen to good things about ourselves as well and be encouraged by what God has made us and how we've been able to use that. So thank you for your attention. Um, that's sort of me. Done. Um, I'm happy to answer questions if people want to ask them um, or I'm happy for us to just have some talk and maybe talk about the ministries the church could have um, or, yeah, the challenges you're facing over the next couple of months as Christmas rolls up with your families and how you could bring Christ into that. Or, yeah, let's try and move our conversations beyond uh, it's a nice day, Colin, how's work? Uh, you haven't enjoyed being a granddad? Um, <laughs> let's try and move our conversations uh, forward and encourage one another, challenge one another. Um, yeah, maybe make place uh, conversations that are a little bit uncomfortable because Colin's hit some nails I don't really want to hit. <laughs> Um, because I think that's what God wants us to do with each other, encourage one another, um, because we're all sinners. It should come as no surprise if people confront you and say, maybe you, that's an area in your life that's, that's not so good. We're all sinners. That's Our fundamental belief here is we haven't got it together. We exist here because Jesus chose us, Jesus accepts us, and we can be better because we have Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So let's challenge one another. Let's walk with one another. Um, accept the support when we're weak and give support when we're in a place of strength because we're a family and we work together no questions cool thank you very much for your attention and uh, next week singing yay we hope and I forget who's speaking next week probably Daryl no he last week